When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, welcome back to Eco Chic, the podcast all about practical science and sustainability. My name is Laura Diaz and I am pumped for today's episode because we are talking about something timely and relevant and current and I just know it's going to be a really good one. Today we're kind of going to be prepping for the next presidential election cycle when it comes to climate change discussions. So this is a really timely conversation again because as political candidates are beginning to bring out their own climate action plans, there is a lot of different discussion around carbon and environmental regulations and a lot of different things that have to do with our stance on the environment. So today is election day in the U.S. if you are listening to this on November 4th, the day that this episode comes out. And that means that in exactly one year, we will have the opportunity as Americans to elect a new president. So this year is going to be full of campaigns and marketing and buzzwords that are going to be thrown at us. And I think that it's really important that we have some information to help you make a really informed decision and just really help you parse out some of that information, some of that rhetoric around climate change. So I'm not here campaigning for any candidate in particular. In fact, I'm really looking forward to watching the debates and being involved in this political process because I don't know who I'm voting for yet. But I do know that as an intelligent young person in America, that a candidate's environmental values and plans are really going to be making a huge part of that defining decision for me. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about some of those hot button vocab terms. So what it means to put a price on carbon. Why are we concerned with the Paris Climate Accord? What are we striving for when we say we're going to net zero? There's a lot of different overarching ideas that all of the candidates really have in common. But I think that it's important that we just understand what we're advocating for and what you're voting for, because there are plenty of things that we could be focusing on and also plenty of things that could be kind of greenwashed in a way to make us believe that a particular topic or a particular plan is better than it actually may be in the long term for our environmental concerns, our environmental values. So let's actually start from the back of that list I just made. Let's talk about net zero emissions. Net zero emissions is the same thing as saying carbon neutrality. Every Democratic candidate, there has been some mention of how we're going to achieve net zero emissions. Just a little side note, there has not yet been a formal Republican nominee named for the 2020 presidential election, but that's not saying that no Republicans can ever have a plan for climate action. I'm just saying every Democratic candidate thus far has discussed carbon neutrality in some way. So anyway, the idea of achieving net zero emissions refers to a time during which we are taking out as much carbon from the atmosphere as we are putting in. So a totally equal balance of carbon in and carbon out. Some of the ways that we can do this are carbon capture technology to achieve this from a completely analytical, politically indifferent perspective. We basically have to stop using fossil fuels like yesterday. I talk about this a little bit more in depth on episode 69, which is called What is the Carbon Budget? But I really want you to know that net neutrality, carbon neutrality, zero emissions, all of these things are actually the same exact thing. 
And these are all really, really necessary goals to stay below our critical threshold of warming. So that's 1.5 degrees. In order for us to be living safely in the earthly societies we now know and love, we need to be mitigating our carbon output really aggressively. So that's when we start thinking about carbon neutrality, just not only reducing the amount of carbon that we are currently putting into the atmosphere by burning fossil fuels, by just the regular day-to-day activities that we're already partaking in, but actually bringing that level of carbon to zero. So now let's talk about carbon pricing. Basically, you can put a price on carbon in two ways. You can use one of these techniques, a combination of these techniques, neither, whatever it may be. So you have carbon taxes and then you have cap and trade. In the U.S., they are primarily theoretical ideas, both carbon taxes and carbon trades. Sometimes that's called carbon credits, but neither of these ideas is particularly lofty or impossible in any way. So I first want to give a little bit of background that in the U.S. we did start taxing corporations for their output of sulfur dioxide in the 1970s because there was a lot of really terrible health issues associated with the acid rain you get when sulfur dioxide is put into the atmosphere. Sulfur dioxide doesn't travel particularly far. It's a gas. It's a little bit heavier. It stays pretty close to the source. So it's much more straightforward to figure out where the emissions are coming from when you have sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere. So putting a price on SO2 pretty quickly eliminated our issues of acid rain in the U.S. So it's nice to think that we could use that same logic for carbon. However, carbon dioxide is a lighter gas, so it can travel a lot farther. It's harder to quantify, like just figuring out how much carbon is being output is a really difficult thing. So again, we have some challenges, but the two big ideas here to deal with carbon dioxide that is being emitted by major corporations are taxes and trades. The carbon tax is the idea that there is a tax, quite literally like any other tax, on the carbon content of fuels. And just like emissions trading, just like carbon emissions trading, it's a form of carbon pricing. Carbon pricing is basically just what it sounds like, putting a price on carbon. So a carbon tax would mean a company would be paying a tax on each metric ton of CO2 that they're emitting. So for some super, super simple math, let's just try to better understand carbon taxing. If there is a major corporation that's emitting, let's say, 100 metric tons of CO2, let's say that the government's decided that one metric ton of CO2 is priced at $100, that corporation will be paying $10,000 in taxes. So $100 per metric ton at 100 metric tons, you put those all together, it's $10,000. So that is the amount that the company will be paying just for being a polluter. This is a really attractive idea from an economic standpoint, from like a more business psychology standpoint, because at the end of the day, while it's great to encourage people to like stop polluting out of the goodness of their hearts, at the end of the day, people care when it costs them money. So the idea of a carbon tax costing a company, let's say $10,000, $100,000 just in taxes for being a polluter will really force them to go ahead and say, okay, how can we cut some costs here? That's going to be reducing our output, reducing our emissions. So the idea of a carbon tax is really cool from that perspective. There is quite a few candidates currently running that are advocating for pricing carbon, which is, again, just enacting a carbon tax and giving that back to Americans as a rebate. I'm not necessarily saying that's a good idea or a bad idea, but the idea of rebates in carbon taxes is a strategy for stimulating the economy in those lower and middle income brackets. So just another facet of carbon taxes that could be a really interesting thing to look out for in this next political cycle. 
Now let's switch gears for a second and talk about cap and trade programs. Again, another form of carbon pricing. So this is sometimes called emissions trading. A company is theoretically allotted X amount of credits for emitting CO2. So they can't exceed the amount of credits that they've been given. Again, let's do some like super, super simple math. I think it's a lot easier to conceptualize this with numbers. If that major corporation, again, emits 100 metric tons of CO2 per whatever time period, let's say a year, but they're only allowed 80 credits, assuming one metric ton equals one credit, there is 20 metric tons of carbon that they are emitting into the atmosphere that they need to figure out how to reduce. These are some really good systems because a government can cap the amount of total emissions that their society is putting out. If the government's like, okay, as a whole, we only want to put out like this many hundred thousand metric tons of CO2, every major corporation is getting some slice of that pie. So that's the cap part of cap and trade. Ideally, the cap gets stricter over time. The society as a whole is emitting less and less and less. The trade part of cap and trade comes into play when you are a company that has more carbon credits than you actually need, and then you can sell them to other organizations. So again, let's say you emit 100 metric tons of CO2, but you have 120 credits. And then in that scenario, you have 20 credits that you can sell to another company, another major polluter, another major corporation. So there are pros and cons to this as well. Again, it gives people regulation and some incentive to actually sell credits. You know, there is some economic gain to be had there. But on the flip side, it's really, really hard to figure out what the optimal output of CO2 is for an entire society. So it's really hard to say like, oh, if every major corporation puts out 100 metric tons of carbon, then we're good to go. What do you do if you have a lot of corporations that are producing less emissions than you're allotting them credits? That kind of incentivizes them to not take as great precautions or care when it comes to their emissions. So if I'm, let's say I'm just some big evil company that has 20 extra credits, I'm like, oh, I can go ahead and pollute more than I already was. I can loosen my environmental regulations, my policy. I can maybe get rid of some environmental standards or precautions that were particularly costly for me. So it's a little bit harder to find the sweet spot when it comes to cap and trade as opposed to carbon pricing that kind of just incentivizes everyone to decrease their carbon output as much as possible. So now let's switch gears for a second. Currently in America, renewable energy is producing more jobs than fossil fuel derived energy sources, so coal jobs. And this actually isn't even in America. Around the world, renewable energy is putting out more jobs. It has more job opportunities in that space right now than traditional coal fossil fuel derived jobs. So the rest of the world, literally every single other nation, is still signed on to the Paris Climate Accord, which is a set of rigorous regulations helping the globe as a whole keep our warming to a minimum and really delay drastic, drastic climate change impacts for as long as possible. I also talk about the Paris Climate Accord in that carbon budget episode I mentioned earlier, episode 69. So if you want more background on that, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that. However, the U.S. is the only country as of right now that has said anything about getting out of the Paris Climate Accord and really massively loosening those environmental regulations that we've put out. The rest of the world is progressing and creating a new economic landscape that the U.S. is not a part of. What does that mean if we're still supporting these coal jobs and loosening our environmental policies? Jobs will go elsewhere. We are going to have an even lesser global influence and we're going to be left behind. 
So if there's someone in your life that's supportive of the Trump administration's announcement to leave the Paris Climate Accord, you can definitely bring up this global economic argument. And I mean, it's great to have clean air and clean water, even if you don't acknowledge climate change. Like those should just be things that you want. But at the end of the day, the Paris Climate Accord protects our health. It attempts to lessen the impacts of natural disasters. And I don't even know if I should call them natural disasters because our actions are really the root cause of a lot of things like major fires, snowstorms, hurricanes. But that's a whole other conversation to be having. At the end of the day, it's really about empowering ourselves and knowing what we're talking about when we're advocating for particular policies and particular legislation. I do want to acknowledge that in this episode, I have not talked about the Green New Deal. And at the end of the day, I think that there's a lot of other conversations that we need to have before we can really figure out if the Green New Deal is something that we want to go along with or not. There are a lot of more humanitarian issues that are associated with the Green New Deal. There's a lot of things that we can tie to climate change, like economic inequality, feminism, things like that. And there's just a lot of conversations that we need to have around the Green New Deal. I feel like that should really be its own episode with an expert, because again, like I'm not a politician. I just really get riled up when it comes to climate policy. I'm just really interested in it. And it's something that I really care about. So if there's something that you are itching to learn more about, please reach out to me. If you find any really cool policies online, I would love to read about them. But I hope that this episode gave you some perspective and just some better insight on what it is that these politicians are really advocating for and pushing for and what this really is going to look like for our future, not only as a country, not only as a society, but just for the globe. We're talking again about the economy. It's 2019. It's almost 2020. We do not live in a world where countries operate on their own, where everything happens in a vacuum and everyone is like every man for himself. The internet exists. Global economies exist. We are talking about trading around the world. We are all really, really, really connected, whether we acknowledge it or not. And the environment is the same way. So just because one person wants to tighten environmental regulations and one person wants to loosen them, that doesn't mean that they don't cross over at all. There's going to be impacts whether we like it or not. We all have our differences. But at the end of the day, we've only got one planet. It's time to wake up. And I hope that this gives you a little bit of food for thought. So I encourage you to go ahead and watch the Democratic debates as they start up again. I'm really excited to watch them. I think they're a lot of fun. Invite your friends over, have a drink. It's just a good time. And it's also just cool to be politically aware. So while I'm not saying like you have to go out, campaign for anyone or be like extremely involved in the political process, at the end of the day, it's just about awareness. It's about figuring out what you care about and figuring out what policies really align with your values. So that is it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you feel a little bit more informed. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Podcast. There is a huge, really exciting announcement coming out really, really, really soon. And I am really, really present on that particular Instagram page. If you want to follow me, my personal page is at Lori E. Diaz. And both are always in the show notes. I would love to get your feedback and get your thoughts and just get to know you a little bit better. So social media is a really fun way to do that. I hope you have an awesome day and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.